Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Take your Bibles out and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, What a week last week. I'm glad the Lord spared us. Many of you guys were on the road on Sunday traveling back in town. Uh, We need to keep praying for our brothers and sisters in the state of North Carolina, especially in the northern part of the North Myrtle Beach area as they are still recovering and digging out. But it's good to see you back this morning in church today. We welcome each one of you. We are at a... uh, Looking at, at, at scriptures we take out of context or aren't even in the word of God. There are so many things, what happens is we tend to pull a verse out, a Bible passage out, and if we're not careful, we'll make it say what we want to hear. And, uh, and, we, and a lot of these phrases we use and say aren't even in the word of God. The one we're going to talk about today is the one we've heard many times, God won't give you more than you can handle. How many have ever heard that? Let me see your hand. How many have ever said that? Let me see the other hand. And, and we, we tend to say things when we get in a spot we don't know what to say. And so we blurt out the first thing that comes into our mouths and we see somebody going through a trial or test, we pat them on the back and say, you know what, brother, it's okay. God won't put more on than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. It's not in the word of God. But there is a scripture very similar to that. We're gonna look at that this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, before we do, let me ask you guys a question. How many like a good escape movie? Let me see your hand. You just, you just you're on the edge of your seat. You're hoping they get out, whether they're breaking out of prison and bad guys, you know, you start rooting for the bad guy there or they're in a concentration camp or they're somewhere. And so there's a lot of these movies that come into our mind that Shawshank Redemption was a fascinating movie about this guy that breaks out and, uh, and then escape from Alcatraz. We remember that movie, uh, Papillon. That was a fascinating movie. I think they're doing a remake of that coming up right now. Uh, Von Ryan's Express. I'm kind of aging myself here with some of these old movies. And and then, of course, Dunkirk recently came out about how they got 400,000 men off the shores of Dunkirk and back to England. That was an incredible escape movie. But I think one of the, the greatest of all time was a movie called The Great Escape. How many saw that? James Garner, Steve McQueen, just an all-star cast. If you haven't seen it, you need to go rent it, take a look at it. It, it is a, an amazing movie. And let me give you the backdrop. It's based on a true story. And uh, what they did is they took uh, a lot of the prisoner of war criminals, they put them all in one con- in prisoner of war camp, and it was there, they, they had many different escape artists who escaped from other places. They had this idea, we'll put them all in one place. That wasn't a great idea, because you had the greatest escape minds all put together, and they're going to devise this amazing escape. And so they dig a tunnel, and they're digging a tunnel, but the only trouble is that tw- the tunnel's about 20 feet short of the woods. They came out where they weren't supposed to. It was supposed to get a little deeper into the woods on the other side of the barbed wire fence. And so they had to time their escape as the light's panning the field in, in times of darkness. So they wait for the light to pan away. One guy pop out of the hole, run into the woods. And they kept getting guys out like that. But there was one guy in the tunnel who had claustrophobia. There's always one guy that ruins it for everybody else. And he jumps out and the lights are flashing and his timing is all off and the alarms go off. And and, and they, they managed to get 76 people out 
during this escape. And so they scatter all over the place and the German army puts all kinds of resources, time and money into recapturing these 76 soldiers. They recapture 73 of them. In one scene, and spoiler alert, maybe I shouldn't ruin this for everybody, but uh, if you're gonna watch it. But anyway, they take the 50 guys that they'd capture, 50 of them they had together, and they send them out to a field for a break, and they take their guns out and mow them all down. And that's towards the latter part of the movie. And you go, oh, no. And so, and so that's happening. And they're capturing these guys one at a time. Three of them are never caught. But one guy, his name is Hiltz, and he is played by Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen uh, steals a motorcycle and he's very near the border and he's trying to get out and you got this amazing motorcycle scene and I'm gonna show it to you right now, take a look. You feel like the armies are closing in on you. Ever have that feeling when everybody's turning against you and they're after you and you're trying to find that way of escape? that way out, you are in a trial or a test that is so intense, you wonder if it's ever gonna end, am I ever gonna get through this, am I ever gonna make it, and you just feel like you're surrounded in, and you just keep running into barbed wire, barbed wire and, you, and you get cut up and bruised and broken along the way, or there's a temptation that comes that is just so intense that you see no way out or no way of escape. Well, that's not what God's word says. There is a promise of escape. So let's stand together. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because God has promised to make a way of escape. I want to read these two verses to you. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man and God is faithful. I want to say that much. Let's say that together. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, 
He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Let us pray. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word today. Your word is life and truth. I pray the Holy Spirit will breathe through it, that there will be an anointing here this morning, that we will receive what you have for us today. Help me, God. You know I need your help. And we give you honor, praise, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Tell them they look great today, your neighbor, and you may be seated. Often when someone's going through that hard time, you, you find somebody that's lost a loved one. Say they've lost a, a son or a daughter, or a husband or a wife, or somebody very dear to them. And you want to, they're, they're close to you, you want to go minister to them, you want to be with them. Uh, what, what we do is we, we tend to, we put our arms around them and say, you know what, I'm just going to tell you this, God won't put you on you more than you're able to bear. Well, first of all, that rings very hollow because you're not in the middle of what they're going through. And when, they've, when they're going through a major trial like that, that's not very comforting because it's almost like there's not, more, there's not any more I could stand. There's nothing more I can handle. There's nothing more I can bear. And, and how can you even say that? Let me just say this to you right out of the gate. It, it, sometimes if you don't know what to say, the best thing is just keep your mouth shut. I think there's the ministry of presence we take for granted. And just you being there with somebody and you, your presence and your comfort and your strength and just to know that you're there to walk with them through every step of the way, that means more than anything than maybe trying to come up with some kind of trite statement that we've heard before that really doesn't bring comfort at all. The Corinthians, Paul writes the Corinthians, and they're facing some major temptations. And, and the temptation for the Corinthians, because Paul establishes his church there, is to return to idolatry and along with their idolatry, all kinds of sexual immorality. And so there was always this pullback to go into their idolatry. And so Paul will use, when he writes the Corinthians, the example of the children of Israel. And he says, don't do what the children of Israel did. The children of Israel, God delivered them through the Red Sea. God provided for them every step of the way, but they kept returning back to the gods of Egypt. And when they get out in the middle of the wilderness, they build a calf and they begin to worship that because they begin to think, where is God right now? And I think the danger for us is simply this. When we are going through a trial or a test or a temptation and, and we're really right in the middle of it, sometimes we feel like God doesn't know what I'm going through. He doesn't see what's happening to me. He doesn't know what I'm experiencing. And we kind of are like those Corinthians, God, where are you right now? And the danger is we just, we begin to doubt God. And so he gives this promise in verse 12 and 13. He says, I want to tell you a couple of things. Number one, God is faithful. No matter what you may be experiencing, temptation, test, or trial, God is always, always faithful. And number two, he has all the power you need because he will make a way of escape. Not only is he faithful to be with you, he is also a powerful God. And so he's teaching them to trust and believe in God, don't give up. And so this is the context with which we're reading this today. And so there's a couple major problems with this state statement, God won't put more on you're able to bear. Not only is it not biblical, but I, I think it defies logic because when you're in the middle of that test and trial, it just doesn't really add up because if, if there could be more out there, how can there be more than what I'm experiencing right now? And so the words really don't ring true. But there's a second problem with that. The very statement itself seems to be putting the blame back onto God. So when we even make the statement, God won't give you more, the implication is what you're going through now is something that God gave you, right? 
I mean, if we tell somebody, hey, God won't give you more than you can handle, you're telling them whatever they're doing, experiencing right now, God has given that to you to begin with, and that is very poor theology. That is very, very incorrect. And here in this context, he's talking about temptation and tests and trials. And so he, no right out of the gate, God will not tempt you with sin or evil. Let me give you James 1 and 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own desire, he is dragged away and enticed. So God is sinless, and he's not going to come along and bring temptation your way, but he will make a way of escape. God will not be the source of your temptation, but he can be the source of your deliverance. And that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so he is that way of escape. And if you'll turn to him, he'll forgive you, but he'll also give you power every day over any temptation or sin you might be facing. The problem is, don't blame God. When we stumble and fall and blow it, don't blame him. Every man when he sins is led away by his own flesh. But I think when we use this statement, God won't give you more than you can handle, and and this is as close as we can get in the Bible to that phrase, I think we think in terms of trials or tests, not so much in terms of temptation. But there's even some flaws with that kind of thinking as well. And, And here's the problem. When you begin to say, God won't give me more, you are blaming God for every trial and test. I want to propose something to you this morning. It's simply this. Most of our trials and tests are self induced. We bring on ourselves because of our own sinfulness, our own rebellion, our own stupidity, whatever the case may be. And so instead of putting, we, we tend to put God on trial and we tend to blame him for every problem we have, but it's not so much him, more often it is us. We bring on ourselves. Now here's where they come from and stem from. God is love. The word of God tells us that, God is love. But God, because he does love us, did something else. He gave man a free choice or free will. He makes Adam and Eve. He says, eat everything you want, just don't eat this one tree. What's he doing? He's giving Adam and Eve free choice, free will. And when God did that, He took the risk that because of that pain would come into the world. But God loves us so much, he's willing to take that risk and let us make our own choices in life. Why? Because God loves us, but when we make the wrong choices, it brings a lot of pain and heartache and suffering along the way. Let me see if I can illustrate it to you. David sees a woman, Bathsheba. And he calls her unto himself. They have an immoral relationship. She gets pregnant. And uh, because of that sin of David and Bathsheba, there's all kinds of collateral damage that takes place. They're going to have a son. He's going to die within the first seven days after his birth. Not only that, David is going to have Uriah the Hittite, his next door neighbor, one of his 30 mighty men, murdered in the field of battle because he's going to call a troop withdrawal and he's going to have Uriah killed right on the battlefront. Because of that, uh, sin's going to 
bloodshed and violence is going to follow his family the rest of his days. And so he has one son who rapes a half-sister. He is later killed by Absalom. Absalom gets mad at David for not doing enough. A couple years later, he launches a full-out revolt, and he comes back in, and he drives David out of the kingdom. There's a great battle that takes place. A lot of men are killed, and a lot happens, all because of David's sin. And so this pain and grief and heartache that David experiences, most of that is self-induced. And he writes in Psalm 38, verse 4 and verse 8. And you kind of hear his cry right here, and we can identify with David. He says, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. We've been there. How many times have we sinned and done something wrong and we feel that weight of guilt and that weight of sin pressing down on us, but it's the heartbreak of choices that we have made, and so most of the problems I experience in my own life, I can honestly say are self-induced, my own fault. But then there's another source of pain and trials and heartache, and, and that's the result of sin of others. And so sometimes there are those around us in our life who are abusive, who are not following God, who are not serving God, and we pay the penalty because of their sins. And so we experience that. The choices they make bring pain and harm and suffering, but it all comes back to this result of sin. Drunk driver goes out. It's a young man on a motorcycle. It's possible to say in those times, God, why did this happen? Why is this happening in my life? Why did this take place to me? Why? It's because a man chose to sin and drink too much and jump in a car and hit somebody along the way. God did not cause that. God doesn't traffic human beings, people do. And so when we talk about human trafficking and the sex trade and prostitution and all that goes on around us, that's because of the sin of man, not God. Every victim of a shooting, there is someone holding a gun that made a choice to pull that trigger. And we say, why doesn't God just come down and stop it? I mean, if he's all powerful, why doesn't he just stop it? It's because in his love, he gave his free will. And because he gave his free will, we are victims of the choices we make. And so it says in God's word, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And yet there's this tendency to blame God or get angry with God. With sin comes collateral damage. And I know some of you are thinking ahead of me right now. Your brains are working because we just had Hurricane Florence. You say, wait a minute, Pastor, time out. Florence hit the coastline of North Carolina. Homes were destroyed and flooded. Uh, I think the latest count I heard the other day was 43 people have lost their lives because of that storm. You can't say man sinned or, or man brought that along. This is something that of nature. This is something come in, and, and a lot of people lose their lives because of it. Even, even the fall of our world is because of man's initial sin. 
It says in Romans chapter 8, it describes what our creation is like now. We know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. It says the whole world is looking for its redemption. And so our world itself is in a state of chaos. Nature itself is chaotic. It is crazy and bad stuff happens. But to say there's a cause and effect because of all of that. The pain we experience, although very real, and it's really too much for us to handle, should do one thing, push us to God and not away from God. And this is the warning of the Corinthians. We trust in God, we turn to God, he will make a way of escape. And so there's two promises I wanna give you that we need to cling to in times either of temptation or if you wanna interpret it, trials and tests in times of trying and testing along the way. Two promises I wanna give you, they're both found in verse 13. Number one, there is the comfort of his presence. God is faithful. God will always be there. He is always available. He has promised, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you any step along the way. And if we're all honest with ourselves, the reality is when things are going really good and things are going great, we often forget about God. And we think, I've got this, life's wonderful, and we get really busy doing our own thing. And sometimes we tend to forget about God, but God allows a pain or a test to come through and what we begin to do. Oh God, I need you now. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, who spent many years in a concentration camp and was eventually executed, makes this statement. He said, pain is God's megaphone to get our attention. God, I need you now. Go back, take your Bibles out, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I want to give you the, the context to which this passage came from. And he's talking about the children of Israel. And twice, he says it in verse 6, he'll say it again in verse 11. He said, the Israelites are an example to us. And so he says, I want you to learn from their example. So let's read it together. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Now, Israel is gonna be delivered out of Egypt and they are gonna be taken through a desert and with the desert comes much hardships along the way, many trials and tests along the way. He mentions three of them right here in this passage. The first one, he says, you know how the Israelites, the children of Israel, all passed through on dry ground. Let me give you the background. They've just had the Passover. They've just escaped Egypt. They now come to the Red Sea and the people see the Egyptians closing in on them and they feel like they're gonna die out there. And they say, Moses, wasn't there enough graveyards in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? And what do the people do? They murmur, they grumble and complain and they blame God. So Moses holds out his rod and they walk across on dry ground. Now I will tell you, that is a type of our deliverance or our salvation. It is a, that's the greatest escape of all time. Two million people walking across on dry ground, a picture of how God saved us and set us free and brought us out of a land of bondage. Can you say amen? But they get in the wilderness. What do they do? 
been delivered, but they start complaining again. Moses, we're hungry. There's no food to eat. We're gonna die out here. You've left us all alone. God's gone. God's not around. We're out here by ourselves. We're gonna die. And so what does God do? He sends manna down from heaven. And every morning they got up and God had food for them to eat. And he, once again, we are seeing that God is our sustainer. God is our provider. God has all power. God is with us. But they murmur and grumble and complain. I'm tired of this manna. I'm sitting sick of eating the same thing every day, day in and day out. And so he sends quail and they eat the quail and they jump on it and they devour it and it begins to choke in their mouth and many of them die out there in the wilderness. And he says, with, with these I was not pleased. And they said, we're thirsty, we need something to drink. And the Bible says, he tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to strike a rock. And they're out there in the desert and it's hot and it's dry and they're thirsty and he strikes the rock and water comes pouring out of that and they all drink and they have plenty to drink. A little bit later in their journey, they get thirsty again and God tells Moses, and listen to this language very carefully, he says, I want you to speak to the rock. Moses is so fed up with the children of Israel, he takes that rod in his hand, he strikes that rock again, water comes gushing out, but God says, Moses, because you've sinned, you're not gonna enter into the promised land, and he loses it out there in the wilderness. He just about had it up to here. Listen, he says that rock that followed them was Christ Jesus. What a powerful imagery we have. The first time the rock is gonna be struck, and that's a picture of Jesus Christ when he would hang on the cross for us, he would die on the cross, he would give his life, he would be struck again, and, he, and, and, and out from his side would flow what? Blood and water. And so you see this whole imagery in the children of Israel. But the word of God says in Hebrews that Jesus Christ was crucified once and struck once and once for all time but he says from here on out all you got to do is speak to the rock and say God I need you Jesus I need you the sacrifice has already been paid I have that faithful high priest that I can go to and they got out in the middle of the wilderness and Moses takes off for 40 days and 40 nights and they say, God, where are you? You're not here, you're not around, your presence is not here. And so they build a golden calf and the Bible says with many of them, God was not pleased and they perished out there in the middle of the wilderness. Israel was a picture of murmuring and grumbling and complaining and forgetting about God. Listen, I wanna tell you, when life is hard, when you are going through a desert, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a trial, a, a test or pain along the way, you have a choice to make. Will you trust God to get you through? Will you trust in the presence and power of Almighty God? Or are you gonna say, God, where are you? Why did you leave me? Listen, our, our landscape around here is littered with men and women who have been hurt somewhere along the way. And what happens is that pain becomes so great that they take their anger and their, on God and they disconnect from God and they turn against God and they talk about God and they fall away from that relationship they once had with the Lord Jesus Christ that was so vital and dynamic because they've been hurt, because they experienced pain. But Paul writes to the Corinthians, don't give up, don't turn away from God, don't do like the children of Israel, don't put God on trial. God hasn't left you, he's there, trust in him, and he will, with every temptation, every trial, he will make a way of escape, call upon him. 
Listen to this statement, and I'm going to read it to you. It's just, it's just profound. Write it down in your notes right there. Never let the presence of the storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Amen. Say it one more time. Never let the presence of the storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Instead of condemning God, what, we, what do we need to do? We call upon him. And so it's in those times we cry out to God and we call upon him. It says in Psalm 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him. Your greatest moments of pain will often become your greatest moments for God to show you that he is with you and he cares about you and he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Now, one of the ways that we see the presence of God, and I want you to follow me here in this, is through the body of Christ, through his church. So if you're not going through a trial or a test right now in your own life, the word to you this morning is you can be an encouragement and a blessing on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ for someone else. Why? Because it says in 1 Corinthians 12, we are the body of Christ, we are his hands, we are his feet, we are his eyes, we're his family, we're his body, and so this is how we help and minister to one another, and so when you come along beside a brother who is hurting or suffering, don't look that angel who God sent to you, that messenger from the Lord, and say, God, why don't you care about me? He just surrounded you with five other brothers and sisters who are praying for you, that's God's provision, that's God showing you, I am with you. It's called incarnational theology. The fact that God is with us. And so God Almighty, what's it say? He became flesh, the incarnation. He was born, took on flesh. Why? The Bible says so that he could become our faithful high priest. So he could understand and is touched with all the feelings of our infirmities, Hebrews chapter four. And he was tempted in every way, like as we are, yet without sin. That's the incarnation. That's, that's, and so what happens is when we go to others and we minister life to them and we minister grace to them, in some way we are, we are practicing giving grace and extending the grace and blessing of the Lord Jesus Christ through his body. There's a, a story, and I, I've used it before. It's about a little girl, and she's, she's up in her room, in her room at night, her bedroom at night. She's about six years of age, and she, there's a storm, and it's right outside of her window, and the lightning is flashing, and it's raining so hard, and she is just terrified. If you have little girls, you know what they do. They go running into their mom and dad's room. And she goes running to mom and dad's room and mom and dad are trying to get some sleep and they say, honey, it's going to be okay. Everything, you're in a house, you're fine. Just go back to bed. And, and she'd go back to bed and it thunder and lightning some more and she'd come running back to daddy and say, daddy, I'm afraid, I'm afraid I can't go to sleep. And finally her dad takes her back into the bedroom and sits her down on the end of the bed and says, honey, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that even though it's storming outside, Jesus is always here with you. But she looked back at her father and her lips are quivering and tears are running down her cheeks. And she says, but daddy, I need someone with flesh on. I need someone with flesh on. And I think that's what we are in, in the church family. We have the flesh on. We are the hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. And so we love each other and we minister to others. And there's sometimes that the, the, the presence of God can be experienced just through the love and counsel of a brother or sister in the family of God. Don't ever underestimate that and the power of the church and the body and the family. Just wanted to share that with you. 
That's what the church is here for, is to help you. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. But we share it together and we carry it together. So, so there's, the, there's the promise of his presence. God is faithful. But the second thing we see here is in the latter part of the same verse, there's the promise of his power because he goes on to say in the NIV, he will provide a way out. I like the way the King James says it. I will provide a way of escape, a way of escape. He is not just present, but he is also present with all of his power. When we talk about God being present with us, God with us, he's also there with all of his power. And the, and, and the reality is when I'm the weakest, God's strength is the greatest. Paul says when I am weak, it's then I realize the full strength of almighty God. You say, you say pastor, what if he, you say he's powerful and he's there with me, and, and he's, but I'm still going through this trial. I'm still going through this test. He hasn't, he hasn't taken it away. If he's so powerful, why didn't he just snap his finger and it be gone? Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn there very quickly if you would. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 and 10. Paul goes through all kinds of trials and tests along the way. And, and there, in verse 7 of that chapter, he says, And the Satan sent a messenger to buffet me. And he begins to describe this, what he calls a thorn in the flesh. Now, Paul purposely doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. There's all kinds of sermons on the thorn in the flesh. Just throw it out. We don't know. I think he doesn't want us to know because if it was that one thorn, we think that's the only thing that we needed God for. No, he just covers all thorns. You got a thorn? It's covered right here in these verses. And he says three times. I said, God, take it away. God, remove this thorn. I don't know if it was illness in his body. I don't know if it's uh, some chronic pain he was undergoing. I don't know if it's just the ongoing persecution from the Judaizers. I don't know what it was, but he just said, God, take it away. And he prays again, God, take it away. Listen, if there's anybody who had faith and you had to pray, it's the Apostle Paul. And sometimes we get self-justified and we say, how am I going through this trial, God? I've been faithful to church and I serve and I give and I do all this stuff and I'm still going through this right now. Listen, if anybody deserved not to go through trials and tests based on good works, it was the apostle Paul. But he says, I've got this thorn in the flesh and God's not taking it away and I'm going through all this stuff. I don't understand what's happening to me. And look what he writes in chapter 12 and verse number nine, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. I may not take you out of the trial, but my grace will be with you. My grace is sufficient. For my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Listen, when deliverance doesn't come in the form or fashion we think it ought to, God gives you something even better than your deliverance and that's himself. I'm giving you me. You may be going through some tough times right now, but you've got Jesus. You've got my presence, you've got my power. I will be with you, I am faithful. God is faithful. He is that way of escape. He is that way out. Gives you that. You can't carry the load by yourself. The reality is in times of temptation, we're weak. 
times of trial, we're weak. But I run to Jesus. He is strong. Strong. When I'm weak, then he is strong. Living in this sinful world, you're going to experience temptation as well as pain. And I'm going to tell you right now, you can't handle it. You don't got this. You can't handle it. Trust and I rest in the strength of the Lord. You're not strong enough, but God is. Life can be tough. Here's your two choices you can make. God loved you so much, He gave you this choice. You can choose to blame God, and you can panic, and you can complain, and you can grumble every step of the way, or you can do choose God, choose Jesus. And he is your way of escape. There is always a way of escape. He will be there to help carry the weight if you will call upon him. That's good news. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.